Thanks for tapping in to Untapped CAG, podcast about sobriety and mental health, where we look at different perspectives into sobriety and mental health so you can take something, implement it into your own life. Where we believe there's only one right way to get sober, and that's the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and I am excited to be joined today by a fellow This Naked Mind certified coach and owner of SoberConvos.com coaching business, Kelly Johnson. How are you doing today, Kelly? Hi, RJ. I'm happy to be here. I just took my glasses off because I was like, let me just get even more authentic. But (laughs) (laughs) excited to be here. Um, Yes, my website is SoberConvos.com. And my Instagram is at sober underscore combo, C-O-N-V-O-S. So you can find me there. And I'm a coach with this naked mind along with RJ. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory, how you got into coaching and the sobriety space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I'm trying to see if I want to give you the long story or the, the medium story. Let's stick with the medium one. So I haven't been um I haven't been like a binge drinker or anything for majority of my life. I actually didn't start drinking until I was 18 years old because my mom wasn't a drinker. And I like looking back, I thank God for that because I'm like, how would that have impacted me if she had alcohol in the house? And I found it at an early age. So I didn't touch alcohol until I was 18 when I went away to college. Um, and then from 18 to about 28, 29, I was like your normal kind of college party girl drinker. So I've always had anxiety, though. I've always had anxiety from birth. I've always been a sensitive child and crying. I remember, like, literally just crying. Like, when my cousins wouldn't, wouldn't let me play with them, I would cry. Just any little thing, I would cry. And then that moved into anxiety and, like, my childhood and being a teenager. And, um, of course, once I had my first taste of alcohol at 18, I was just like, oh, this this is perfect. Like, I can just use this because I present as an extrovert and I always did even in um high school and whatnot with my anxiety I was still a class clown literally I won class clown from like kindergarten to eighth grade and eighth grade to twelfth grade because I feel like that was a mixture of my ADHD and anxiety not really knowing how to self-manage <laughs> and not having any tools so I found alcohol at 18 and then that was like kind of the thing I needed to pull it all together so I thought but like I said, thankfully, it didn't get out of hand all of that time. Um, throughout college, I just drank probably on the weekends, a uh, typical party girl. And then I became a flight attendant after college and um, still didn't really get crazy with drinking because you couldn't because I had to get up and work like 5 a.m. flights and whatnot. Um, I would, my drinking would really happen when I would go on vacation, which was at least once a month. And I would be the typical college party girl on vacation um, as a flight attendant. So that behavior still transitioned. Still had anxiety, still was in like shitty relationships. Um, my friendships were great. Some of them were up and down. I wasn't too catastrophic in my life yet, um, but still just this underlying anxiety. And the funny part is I've always been into self-help. So the entire time I would be um, kind of like, falling asleep to like Till Swan uh, informational videos or just different type of like YouTubes or or just speakers on kind of like how to heal yourself and understand your emotions and whatnot. Not not even thinking about alcohol being a cause of any of this, but just very focused on like anxiety, my weight, trying to figure out what to eat, all of that type of stuff. So um, 29 came around. And then I moved to, well, the pandemic happened. So 2020, 
I left New York and I moved to Charlotte over the pandemic, a week before the pandemic hit. And then I got out to Charlotte and maybe three weeks into being there, I was voluntarily furloughed from being a flight attendant. And um, which was amazing in my head at the time, because I was just like, oh, like, I'm not fired, but I have like time basically just to myself here in my new place in Charlotte. And um, I was also receiving unemployment as well. So I had like income coming in. But that little did I know that was the perfect remedy for me to start drinking every day. <laughs> and then I ended up drinking. Literally, it became a habit where I would wake up at like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, take a shot or have a glass of wine, go and ride my bike, go and just do whatever I wanted, like mildly tipsy. And then by the end of the day, um, I would have at least had at least two to four drinks by the end of the day. Um, that went on from, let's say, summer 2020 to around winter, January, February, January, February, 2021. And at that point I was drinking every day and I, my anxiety was through the roof. And then I knew like, um, I would try and go one or two days without drinking and I just couldn't do it. Like I wasn't physically dependent, but I, my anxiety was just too bad and I didn't have the tools to understand how to, what to do. So, um, that's when I started seeking, told my mom, told my aunt, like, like, we need to get me some help. I don't know if I need to go to rehab, some kind of retreat, what I need to do. I went to a couple of retreats. The first one was a failure. I ended up drinking there. The second one, um, that was an accomplishment because I ended up doing my first 30 days of sobriety. And it was like a juice retreat. It wasn't like a <laughs> detox retreat. They didn't know what I was dealing with. I just had my own personal goals. So I did like a 30-day juice retreat. I mean, a 30-day sober retreat at that two-week juice retreat. And then... Um, yeah, I ended up coming home because that was only for two weeks. So the other two weeks, I think I was able to somehow stay sober. And then eventually I ended up drinking again once I came home after that month. But it was drastically decreased from what I was doing. And um, that went on for about a year. And then within that year, I also found Annie Grace's book, thank God. And then that's when that came into play and kind of changed my subconscious beliefs around drinking. And then that helped with that year. I was kind of like in the past where I was like moderating with without knowing that um, I was moderating, but it was drastically decreasing because my beliefs were changing about alcohol. So that went on until July 2022. And officially July 2022, I stopped drinking because I had this divine moment of like, I'm going to be a coach. I didn't know when, I didn't know how, I didn't know where. <laughs> I knew she had a coaching program and I knew I wanted to do this. And I knew I liked self-help and I said, I'm going to be a coach. So I can't even drink these little kombuchas that I was drinking, these alcoholic kombuchas. I was like, nah, I got to drop all of it. And then what was that? Maybe August, September, October, November, four months later, I started her coaching program. Her application came out. So I feel like everything came together to support me once I made that decision. And that's Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really awesome. And how you decided that I'm going to be a coach. And like, that was the catalyst to launch you into this. Yeah. So what is it with this naked mind that resonated with you? Yeah, I think for this naked mind, I think because she was, that's a good question. Thanks for asking this because I never really got to explain this. And um, she was really successful and she presented really well on the outside. And then she struggled with drinking. And she would say that, like, how come everything else in my life is great, but this thing I cannot get a grip on? And I think that's what happened to me 
once it got out of control. And I have um, that type of personality. Like I overwork out, I would overeat, I would I would overdo everything. And I think that was also a habit of the ADHD as well. Just trying yeah. to help. <laughs> that's what so, I was gonna say. That that sounds an awfully lot like how ADHD will manifest. <laughs> exactly. So um and we you know, I'll tie that into, but yeah. That once I seen her saying, because I people would look at me and not notice this. Like I was I traveled to, to 26 countries by the age of 26 year old to being a flight attendant. So um people would see that. And, you know, be like, oh, she has, like, this dream life. She's beautiful. She's traveling the world. She's, like, in Iceland at 23. Like, you know, what's, nothing's wrong. And I had all of this anxiety. And then once the drinking happened, um, yeah, like I said, I think it was just she presented perfectly, but she was really struggling. And I was like, okay, there's somebody else going through this. And then she explained that she had to literally just kind of stop her life to dedicate it to studying, like, why she was doing what she was doing with alcohol. And I'm, my brain works like that, too. I need the information as well. Um, I was a very logic-based person before spirituality came into play. And um, all of that kind of came together to make me be like, all right, there's something about this lady in this book. This is the one for me. And it worked. It did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love to hear that. because, Like, explaining the difference between the snake and mind and stuff, people, uh, sometimes they don't necessarily know until they start to hear and how it's science-based but it's also got the emotion component of it is really where it differs between a lot of other programs. So I'm glad that you um, got to explain that. And then, you know, let's go into the ADHD because what you just described, you know, I, I totally resonated with, like I said, I was about to say, Oh, that sounds like <laughs> some of that ADHD manifesting there. So yeah, it's the binge behavior, I call it just the binge behavior. Um, so the, I've always had ADHD throughout my, I feel like I've always had it. Um, my dad had it. I feel like it went undiagnosed. I feel like his mother had it. My grandmother used to frantically clean all the time. That was the thing, just frantically just clean, clean, clean. And then my father was in the Marines. He used to jump out of planes. He was a boxer. <laughs> just all of these different things. He also struggled with addiction with different things. And then here comes me, <laughs> the the manifestation of all of this. And um, mine came out, I feel like, and I went through that path on purpose. Like I was a very sensitive child because um, I feel like my my parents, you know, nobody really, they didn't have the tools to understand or manage their emotions. So they bring this child along that's sensitive to all the emotions where somebody has to be forced to help her and deal with this. Um, but um, I still wasn't presented with the correct tools. And I feel like that sensitivity went into high anxiety, AKA undiagnosed ADHD. And I was just in school, just, math never clicked for me I don't think I read a book I kid you not RJ I probably read like three books out of my entire life and it wasn't until um maybe ooh, 29 I was introduced to audiobooks and I went through like 10 audiobooks in like a month and I was like oh this is how I learn like I'm a I need to listen and probably do something while I'm like an extreme multitasker so mm -hmm. do listen to get the information so, um, yeah, all of these little things, not really good in school, doing papers was just hell on earth for me, <laughs> just having to be silly and just be all over the place to kind of get good grades because I was not trying to do anything else. And then um, it took me three colleges just to graduate. Like I graduated on time, but I, that first year when I experienced alcohol for the first time, of course, I ended up on academic probation as well. <laughs> so I had to come me back too. home. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. So I had to come back home to community college. And um, I was so determined to not stay home. And this was like my superpowers kicked in this year. So determined to not stay at home that I got like 50 credits. This is that binge behavior, though, in a, like a positive way. I got like 50 credits in one school year. I was on like the dean's list for the first time because um, I had nothing to do but just be home, go to school. My mother didn't have alcohol in the house. Didn't even click for me that alcohol, you know, this was the first sign that, you know, oh, you remove this thing and look at the power that you have. Um, so I did all of that. I did great and got out and went to University of Buffalo for my last two years and um, graduated on time. But it took me three different colleges because I feel like that amount of stimulation and whatnot was helping me get through. I don't think I could have stuck to one school for four years straight. That I don't think that would have worked for me. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that change of environment's real with being able to bring us back to focus. Like <laughs> for those that don't know, I'm also ADHD, late diagnosis in my thirties. Yeah. And yeah. it's when you hear people talk about like being late diagnosed with ADHD and how they navigated life before that, like so many people with different substances, with different, you know, um, I would say escapist tendencies would be a good way to describe it, where you have this something that all of a sudden you don't have the thoughts in your brain that are just constantly letting you know, uh, highly critical, I, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so put yeah. it mildly, like mine was a fucking asshole. And <laughs> yeah. It didn't stop for a very long time. I would I would use my brain. It's funny that you brought that up because I just realized like now I'm I'm really working on it. I didn't realize how much I was using my brain to escape. Like I had a very fantasy based mind. Like I would be in a it, I would have a whole different relationship <laughs> in my brain outside of the one I was actually having in reality because it just felt better the one I would have in my brain. So I would use my mind to kind of just escape whether fullness yep. at night and everything. I would just kind of live in my head for the most part. And um, that was a big escapist like tendency for me and another way out of my body. Um, and, and now on the other side of this, just tying in spirituality, all these concepts together, I feel like people who are very sensitive, who have, because so many of us have ADHD right now. And I feel like um, it's, it's for a reason. We're here to kind of shake up the system. We're here to this whole eight hour workday structure and then eight hour school structure that worked for a time time period but now we're moving more into compassion and empathy and human human services like those type of organized structures don't really fit this anymore so people like us have now come here to kind of be like okay i can't live and learn like this so this is how we're going to do this and then we yeah. help other people kind of see us and do the same but um if you're highly sensitive or you have high anxiety you you most likely probably struggle with being in your body and that's just because it's a gift though you you probably resonate with more self-help things and compassion based things because you feel other people easier and whatnot yeah oh yeah oh yeah and did the eight hour work days and school days did they really work or did we just sweep a lot under the rug and there wasn't a very good way of getting the information out that people would actually listen yeah. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's more <laughs> the case yeah. than necessarily um, that it worked for a time, but it's, it's really interesting. You said that about, 
resonating with people with your compassion and empathy, because that is so much the case where when you talk to people with ADHD, the empathy that they feel, and it's people like you're so quick to help other people that you forget about yourself. Yes. And did you notice that um, in you, especially like as you're trying to quit drinking and you got diagnosed with ADHD? Listen, I was, so in that pandemic year, I was also in school to be a therapist. (laughs) So I was getting my master's because I, how my stuff worked is I, because I had no idea how to really work, be vulnerable. I did not want to be vulnerable and look at my stuff in that way or admit the Mm -hmm. stuff that, my trauma. So I would be hell-bent on helping everybody else and focusing on everybody else. (laughs) And I was extremely good at it, as we all are. Because I was so well studied in self-help and whatnot. So once the pandemic came around, I went into this master's program. I was getting like straight A's in, in my master's level, master's level papers while drinking um, because I knew I understood a lot of the stuff. But once again, not handling my own stuff, it wasn't um, authentic. So that wasn't going to last forever. So I ended up dropping out like a year in. And then I also kind of um, intuitively knew like I wanted to be a, a coach or some even before the coaching program and everything like that. I just knew like, uh, I can't, I don't think I'm gonna be a therapist in this traditional type of way. But um, yes, to answer your question, it most likely all the time came out in me helping other people because I didn't want to look at my own self. And what I'm realizing now is I'm I'm a little, uh, let's say esoteric, a little like extreme with my like sayings, but I'm a big Byron Katie um, follower. And one of her quotes is like, there is nobody else out here. There's nobody else here but you. Like, we're, I feel like we're living in our own individual realities. And what happens is once you start to focus on yourself and change and heal yourself, you do more effective change than you could ever do outside of whatever you were doing before that. Like, yes, you can heal yourself and still give to the homeless and whatnot. But let's say you are hungover and then you feel the need to go give to the homeless, how about you fix your hangover first <laughs> and fix that problem? And then you 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 leave your house with just more empowerment, more light. And that around you, you'll, you'll the next day you'll be on your way going to help the homeless, but you'll be sitting next to somebody on a train that's like, oh, you have good energy. Like, and you'll end up striking out a conversation about your life and how you change your life and whatnot. So point is, heal yourself because you become more of a light when you do that. You, you become more effective and you can really help people from a real place. That's that. <laughs> I love that. I love that because that was, that was me. Like what you just described absolutely was me. And then when I started to really do this work and heal myself, um, I have two kids uh, who are five and four and it's completely changed the way I parent completely changed the way that I relate to other parents, to dads, especially. And then how I navigate the world, the people that are in my life now um, are people who are there that lift me up for no other reason, not looking for, you know, anything for me to give them, but just because they're there to, to lift me up. And that's something different that, um, you know, my friends before, it's not their fault that that wasn't the case, but we just, it's a deeper friendship now than what I had before. And I didn't realize how much that was the connection I was looking for, but so, you know, 
a lot of people say the opposite of addiction is connection. And I usually take that a step further. It's self-connection Yeah. because we're so disconnected from ourselves. That's why we end up wanting to escape. Yes. So when you come back in, it's, it creates that connection. Yeah. And I feel like everybody is a reflection of you. So no Mm. wonder why people that you're experiencing now, you know, it's a whole different type of relationship because you have a different relationship with yourself. So everything that's going on, like, I kid you not, just now I'm, I'm in here. My mom went on vacation. I'm visiting my mom in New York right now. I'm in her house. She went on vacation for two weeks. Her sister lives like right next door to her. They're the cutest things ever. <laughs> so my aunt is like coming over now and she, um, she, I'm trying this like bone broth. I have this like this stomach issue going on. So I'm trying this bone broth recipe out. And um, my aunt walked in the door just now and just sat on the couch and was like, yeah, I had to go. I got to go to the post office to go pick up my bone broth mix. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I'm trying out this bone broth because I'm trying to stop sugar like you are doing too. So I'm looking up this bone broth stuff. I never mentioned anything about bone broth to her at all. I never mentioned it even to anybody, I don't think. And she came down and said those words. And I'm seeing that happen more and more each day. Like literally from what I've heard, everybody in your reality is a reflection of you, whether you are, you know, at your rock bottom, you're experiencing reflections of yourself. And then even as you become your light, you're experiencing reflections of yourself. So you'll, you'll start seeing that people will come up and, and probably like say the question that was in your head or, or come over and do the same thing you were doing. Like it just becomes very kind of weird, the, the co-creation that's constantly going on. But I can for sure say like, being on the other side of this thing, the people that come into my life right now, um, we're all still human. We all still have our, you know, uh, imperfections, but it's a whole different ball game. Like they literally are like reflecting like just the best parts of me and like the things I need to work on. And we're having authentic conversations and yeah, it's just, it's light, light and love right now. <laughs> yeah. And it, I used to be so jaded, like this, that's not, that's not real. Like that's not real life. But the, when you, it depends on how you really want to look at life. Do you want to be jaded and say, that's not real. That doesn't really happen. And you're bitter. And then all you're going to see in interactions with people are the bitter things. Right. And so, you know, when you say that it's, I go through, like, uh, I go to the botanical garden a lot. Um, it's like just my, botanical garden. your reflection. I just went to the botanical garden. I literally just went this tw- 12 hours ago. I was in Utah. I just came back from Utah and me and my friend were in the botanical garden and I was like floating on clouds, but continue reflection. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's been, it's, it's, I've been going for a year, like sometimes two, three times a week. Sometimes I only get there like once every other week, but it resets me and I appreciate how the trees are growing. I appreciate how the leaves are more full today or, you know, this, it's a different green in this tree. Uh, And I never used to stop and appreciate those things before, but when you slow yourself down and you can just be where your feet are and just appreciate different things in life, like you're saying, like, (laughs) all all of these coincidences right they keep happening that are they just you start to just laugh about it (laughs) 
Absolutely. It, it becomes like this amazing kind of game almost like, oh, this is okay. I see what, you know, I call it literally my turn. I call it the God matrix. Like, oh, look what the God matrix is doing again. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just telling my friend as we were walking through the garden, um, we were like smelling the sage and whatnot. And, and we were, I literally said to her, I was like, look at this. Like we're not high or anything. And we're just here like, elated like oh look come come to this plant oh come to this look at the mint family plant over here and I would have never you know not like five years ago even it, I would have loved to I think I used to look at people doing this type of stuff and just kind of be like how like how do you do that how how do you go somewhere and not be like tired because I I feel like I was always on something like even if I wasn't drinking um, I would just be high off of sugar in that moment. Like I was always just doing something within my body to not keep me completely there and present, present in my body in the moment. So I think I just to look at people just like, how the hell do you get there? Like that my higher self kind of knew, like I wanted to get to that, but I had no idea where to start. So, it, it, and I had no idea that alcohol was going to be my start. That was the funny part. Like I always did think I was going to be a therapist or in this field. I had no doubt about that. I probably would have just kept going to school or something, but I always wanted to be in this field. Um, and then the sobriety thing, that's the, that was the life part that was like, oh, this was like the the little kicker in all of this. Like, oh, you're going to help people, but you're going to help people in this way once you figure this thing out. Because once I got sober, every, all the dominoes started to fall. <laughs> so once I got sober, I was taking Benadryl literally every night to go to sleep. And so I have terrible allergies. I don't know. I feel like sensitive people, if you have allergies, I feel like that's a part of just being a sensitive person. And so I was taking Benadryl every night. And then once I stopped drinking, I was able to recognize um, the Benadryl was also becoming like, a, it was like a depressant on my nervous system. So I went days without taking it and I felt like better. Because even while I got sober, I was still kind of like depressed and sad. And I was like, what's going mm-hmm. on? Then I went days without it. And I was like, hmm. And then I tried it again after like going a month without it. And I was like crying in the street the next day. And I was like, the Benadryl, like I had no idea. Yeah, literally. And I don't, not to say that that's for everybody, but I think because I was taking it for so long that it just was completely shutting my whole system down in a way, like just really just like a depressant. So once I knocked that out, then, um, because I would be able to eat sugar and then take a Benadryl and still go to bed. So then I had to address the sugar thing, which I'm still working on to this day. Welcome like, to ADHD. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm saying. Every I had all of these little things. And then I stopped. Once I stopped that, I was able to not work out so much because I was like a workoutaholic, of course. And um, that gave me more time to do stuff like this. So it it was like the thread was pulled with alcohol and everything else started to just come apart and, and I had to heal it all. So, yeah. Yeah. And... It's funny, like the the sugar thing. I used to be able to drink a liter of Mountain Dew and just go right to sleep, or drink a thirty ounce black coffee and no problems falling asleep. It's just like ADHD is magic. Um, yeah. at, at, at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, and you know what? I'm I so that was the main thing when I um after the pandemic. So once I got once I tried to get sober in 2021, so 2021 was the thing. Like I was trying to get sober. And in that year, I had to start addressing everything. So I remember going to, my mother came to Charlotte with me. We went to my doctor and I was like, I have ADHD. I don't need, don't even listen to my mother. <laughs> like I have it. So let's address this right now. Give me some type of test, some type of medication. 
but let's address this. So she like gave me like a little test. Of course, I passed it with flying colors. It was like, I know I have mm-hmm. it. Now, what are we going to do about it? And um, we started, I started on Wellbutrin. So Adderall would have been too addictive. Thank God I did not do Adderall because that would have started a whole nother process. So because um, I had tried Adderall like in college, you know, just uh, recreationally, but whatever. Yep. Exactly. So Wellbutrin was um, prescribed to me. And that really helped me when I first started to get sober as well. I want to say that helped me within my first like 30 days that I did. That was um, the thing that helped me. And I never stayed on it really long term, but they say that that's like the poor man's Adderall. So that was something that worked for me as opposed to like, because I would try Lexapro and other antidepressants and those never worked for me. And doctor was like, yeah, because you're depressed because you, the symptoms of your ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I would just kind of, I would recommend whoever's hearing this to explore, just to get really curious about your personality and your traits and stuff, because, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, I'm so glad you said that because your story about the Benadryl too is a really amazing, you know, point to emphasize of pay attention to your body like you understand right if there's something that you're that's going on that you're like something is off so experiment with what you have and if you have a medication that is like that make sure you're talking to a doctor or medical professional to help with that but when I got diagnosed with ADHD it was like this weight off like oh and it's not that it's an excuse it's just oh this explains so much about me no wonder why and the thing about when I got diagnosed they just said oh yeah you have ADHD that was it I didn't Mm -hmm. get talked to about symptoms manifesting didn't get talked about uh, anything learned it all through talking to people yeah it was like why didn't they hand me a pamphlet like go to here to learn about ADHD symptoms and it's like I just thought it was distractibility thought it was, you know, like, a, that's why I'm always bouncing all over the place. And no, yeah. that's a lot deeper than that. And what you said about learning about yourself too. Um, I listened to a book that talked about attachment styles in it, and it motivated me to actually find my attachment style. When I did, that helped like give me a map to explore my past all of my friendships, my relationships, every, everything. And like a lot of the, the conflicts and things that have arose and finding the through line. Nice. What's your attachment style? I'm just curious. Uh, I am lucky enough to have the fearful avoidant slash disorganized slash anxious avoidant. Uh, (laughs) The, the, uh, you know, you have everything. Okay. What? You can have. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is me. That is me. That's funny. I, I got avoidant. I didn't take, read the book, but I took like the, the test. Um, I think the test of the book and I got avoidant. But what was funny about avoidant is I knew that already. But <laughs> what was funny about um, that is um, they say once the avoidant person gets, not, it's not real. Because once you get sick or something, you become the anxious attachment style. Like once, because it's all about vulnerability. You're avoidant because we don't want you to see the shame authentic part of us the real yep. true so now that I'm on that I should take it again to see kind of where I'm at right now but I can kind of guess that because I just ended like a relationship <laughs> after like a year and um, I kind of turned into I was dealing with like some illness in the body like some pain and whatnot 
And I, I turned into kind of like the anxious attachment style or whatever. So I was laughing about it in my head, like, oh, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. And so for mine, like I have that anxious attachment, but then when things are going good, I go internal. Like that's my avoidant is I don't like push away. I just go internal and I'm like, okay, this is going to end because I'm not worthy of this because it's, I'm terrible. Like you said, that shame cycle. And so I'm still there and I'm showing up, but I'm expecting it to end. I'm waiting for it to end. And because of that, I'm like, I'm self-sabotaging the relationship too. And yeah, that's a, that's a heck of a cycle. Like <laughs> it, it is. It, it, did you have um, a therapy talk? <laughs> did you have, cause that's very similar to me. So did you have a, was your father kind of, you know, do you have the abandonment pattern? Like was your father kind of in and out of your life or your mother or anything like that? Um, they were there, but the, um, emotional and mental. Mm. So that's where it was like in and out and where it showed itself was, um, you know, I would, I'd want that care from the caregiver wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily get it. So then I'd have to take care of myself, mm -hmm. but I'd still want that, but then I wouldn't get it. And so it was like, it was like that through most of my life, honestly, to be, to be perfectly honest. So like it, understanding that attachment style, eventually what it led to is two months ago or so, like I found these beliefs, these core values that were instilled in me of where I was actually starting from on my self work. Mm -hmm. um, and like when I when I figured that out, it was like there was a gap where I thought I was starting from to where I was actually starting from. And when I found where I was actually starting from, it was like everything slid down and my cycles of feeling unworthy and having um, some self-sabotaging stuff, they almost disappeared where it was like it, it takes a lot longer. And now that I see it, I can flip it really quickly because right. I know where it's starting from. Yeah. And that was like, that was something that without that attachment style, without looking into with honesty on my relationships, my foundational relationships, my relationships with friends and, um, you know, past relationships, all of that. If I didn't have that honesty, I wouldn't have found where my actual starting point was. And mm -hmm. so now that I know that, like I said, it's like, oh, this is where I'm starting from. And it, both times it was like it removed this block of energy in me and I stayed up for like 48 hours, but it wasn't a manic 48 hours. It just like my body was like, oh, I don't have to put energy to that anymore. Now we have all this energy. What are we going to do with it? We're not sleeping. You can try to go to sleep, but it ain't happening. <laughs> Melatonin down probably. I do not like not sleeping. <laughs> Well, and so I was a line tech for 10 years. So like a high voltage line tech, so if the power was out, I'd be out working. So I was used to having very, very long days, sometimes 24 to 30 some hours. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Of course, of course you would find a job. And guess what job? I'm in sales right now. Mm. And, you know, of course I'm phenomenal at it because of course we find jobs. <laughs> the same way I was a flight attendant because I something yeah. intuitively in me knew. I knew it from freshman year in college. I was like, 
I, I don't care what degree I'm getting. Even if I was a therapist when I graduated, like I got that degree, I still was going to be a flight attendant because I knew some, my, something in me knew, like you're not going to be able to just sit down at a desk job at 22 years old. That's not going to work for you. It hasn't worked for you up until this point, so it's not going to work now. So flight attendant kind of came in and saved the day for me. Like it gave me a job, <laughs> you know, but I didn't have that traditional like job expectation. So I didn't have my first like remote sit down job until um, 30. Honestly, that was a flight attendant from 22 to 30. And um, even that, and now 30, I'm now 32. Um, both jobs that I've had have been like working at startups independently, work from home. So they're kind of like my style. And I feel like they're getting me here for me to kind of do my own thing. So, um, yeah, I don't think I was ever going to be cut out to, like, be in the office. Like, it, I just didn't come here to do it that way. And that caused me a lot of pain. Like, I was like, like, why can't I, you know, just yes. sit down and get a normal damn job and just be still and just do it this way? But once again, once you get on the other side of this and you start becoming, like, your authentic self, so getting really self-aware, you start learning how to manage because all of this is about self understanding the self self-management the correct tools and learning how to apply all of this stuff and tie it together that's all that we're doing it sounds like like all right like these are all of the things that help me so now I'm going to be a coach and sh and we found we manifested this type of program where we could show up in our authentic selves and kind of help other people kind of do it the same way so yeah yeah and that's that's the thing too, is like we both went about it our unique way, but there's things that have crossed over that we both did and did, you know, did it somewhat differently, but we did it that way. And yeah. that's like, that's what I want people to really take away from. That's why I say, you know, take something and implement it into your life at the start because that cookie cutter, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's and what this naked mind. Yeah. That's what this naked mind does. That's what, I've been trying to convey before I found this naked mind. That's what, that's how I used to train when people would come to the crew um, as a line tech. That's what it sounds like how you're approaching. It's about finding your unique way, but you can use these as stepping stones to find your unique way. Yeah, absolutely. And then once you do it, once you show up in your life like that, because I also believe like we all have these like a calling, like this neck of mine became like a calling. Like, that's why I feel like I knew like, oh, you're going to be a something in me. Like these thoughts was coming up because I feel like this was all kind of coming together. So um, I feel like we all have these traits and these gifts and whatnot. And then once you, once you become your authentic self and you start really honing your gifts and your traits, you give other people the permission to do the same thing. Like I say mm -hmm. that all the time about like Beyonce. I feel like that's why we all, like people would say they would go to her concerts and they would feel like, transcended and I, I think it's because she's showing up like that she found this gift she has this gift that she completely worked her ass off to perfect it and she shows up as just like this full unapologetic person she changes her clothes or her like see these million dollar outfits every like she's living her own dream life out and then we see that and we're like oh I can do do I have permission can I do this in my own way too so I feel like we're all Beyonce's and Michael Jordan's and Byron Katie's and, and Annie Grace's. And it's just, you have to kind of find, um, you know, your own path and, and how you're going to show up in the world in that way, but, and be the best at it in your own way. No pressure. Right. <laughs> no, pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Definitely no pressure. And I'm a perfectionist. So even with that, I have to, my, my daily work is like, 
balance, balance, like not feeling the need to answer everybody, even as a coach now, like you do not have to come in and heal everybody. You do not have to answer every question. You do not have to overwork yourself, like balance. You're still loved if you don't do this 100% correctly. Mm. Yeah. And that's, a, I, I agree with you so much. Like I have to remind myself it's progress. Like it's not going to be perfect progress let's go with that <laughs> and then i like grit my teeth and like cr- you know have to cross my fingers like uh <laughs> sometimes, so do, sometimes. You have, do you have like so my tools right now and i'm working on two of being like i'm I'm trying to stop kind of claiming stuff fully on me so instead of me saying like i have adhd i'll be like the energy of adhd is showing up right now <laughs> mm. the of adhd because i'm at this point where I believe like there's me and then there's the behavior and the conditioning and everything like there's the soul and then there's all of this stuff like on top of it so like the energy of ADHD is showing up right now how are we gonna what are we about to do Kelly so I'll um I have this is like my saving grace I just thought this at like 32 years old I don't even well we're on a podcast so it's a (laughs) it's a (laughs) it's a word search book literally large print, like I'm 90 years old and I'll take this out. Cause instead of just kind of, cause I went into this phase of just like, I'm just going to meditate everything away. So I'll just try and just like be still. And I love silent meditation and I recommend everybody do it no matter what, for at least five to 10 minutes a day, not guided silent meditation. And I'll get into that in a minute, but I was trying to do that throughout the day, just continuously. And that wasn't, um, I realized like, okay, you're pushing this too hard and this is not your personality. You you need stuff to do. You're fidgety by nature. So I found this word search and I'll just sit when I have nothing to do, put on an audio book, put in some music, maybe put on even a show and just sit there and do a word search. And it's the most relaxing thing in the world because I'm still working with my personality, the energy of ADHD, not ignoring it. And I'm still um, calming down. I'm not doing harmful things like picking up food or snacking or something of that nature. So yeah, I reckon that's one of my tools. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I have, uh, I do like, I've found since I started journaling, yes, I journal is I, whatever yeah. I do. I like short stories and like poems and stuff. Oh, and nice. so I, that's kind of what I, I'll do is I'll pull out the, my journal. That's like just the short stories and poems and be like, okay, what's on my mind? What do I want to say? And there's not really any guided or prompts or anything it's just writing down what's on my mind and that's just how like that creativity comes Um, out I want to do that I need to I just (laughs) it's because I I I sing so and I've always been it's so funny when I was a kid I always thought I was gonna be a singer like I always tell you like I'm gonna be a famous singer I'm gonna be a famous singer don't ask me what I'm gonna sing don't ask me what I'm gonna be a famous singer not just a singer so um, here I am now, 32 years old adult. I am not a famous singer, but I still sing. Right. It's, America's Got Talent, America, American Idol. I mean. <laughs> but I feel like that is that um, I want to start, because um, I'll be in my house. I have like a, a microphone and everything, and I'll like record songs on my computer. And I want to start doing that. Because once again, I feel like once you get sober, you make room for the natural create creativity. So yeah. I feel um, that's what I'm missing right now too is is the writing the the natural stuff to come out of me right now. Um, so I might get back into that. RJ, thanks for the reminder. 
<laughs> I love to hear that. I love to hear that. <laughs> so Kelly, as we're kind of winding down here, um, what is, you know, something that you'd like the listeners to take away from this conversation today? Yes, I would say show up as your authentic self, as scary as it is. And when I say that, I don't mean go out there and just bear your truth to anybody on the street. I do feel like people, you know, have to earn that um, sometimes. But don't be afraid to show up authentically as yourself, meaning like if you really like to dress a certain way or sing or whatever you like to do, go search for groups that are doing those type of things. Or if you have this secret desire, maybe you want to get sober or something, go looking, go searching, go searching for those things because there are groups out there. The world wants to find you and the world wants you to show up as your authentic self because um, nothing really worked for me. And the moment I started showing up as my authentic self, or work, things worked for me, but I wasn't happy. Even as a flight attendant, I have this like this travel page and whatnot. Um, but now that I'm doing this and I'm showing up as my authentic self and telling my story and coaching, people are gravitating towards me that I'm not even really, I don't have to look and people are coming my way and asking me to do things and whatnot. So your world will open up um, once you show up authentically. Yeah. Hmm. And that's the truth because you learn who should be in your life and who shouldn't. And it, as painful as it is, when you learn that that's how it's working, yeah. it makes it a lot easier to navigate. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. Where can people find you to keep up with you again? Yes, definitely. So um, once again, it's, the website is www.soberconvos.com. And then my Instagram handle is at sober underscore convos.com. And then also I'm a This Neck and Mind Institute coach. So you can go on the This Neck and Mind Institute website to the directory and the list of coaches. And my name is Kelly Johnson. All right. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Kelly. This was a fantastic episode. And I really like your perspective on life, let alone everything else. So <laughs> this has been Untapped Keg, everybody. You can find it, audio platforms, YouTube. You found it already. So... <laughs> Let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because if we don't make it, we tried. Have a great week, everybody. I love you.